0: Hello and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get Onboard Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a dry topic. So I'm bringing you valuable, easy to digest information on board and company director related topics, concepts and ideas in 30 minutes or less. Whether you're looking to join a board or thrive in the boardroom, this podcast is designed just for you. My name is Lisa Cook, and I'm your host. As Founder and Managing Director of Get On Board Australia, I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. Welcome to another episode of the Board Shorts podcast. Today I'm joined by Merlin McCloy from M2M Risk and Insurance. Merlin is the managing director of M2M Risk and Insurance and has worked within the insurance and risk management area since. 1987. Merlin works with businesses to look for ways to minimize their risk through both management of risk and insurance protection. Merlin and I sat down and talked about risk and protection for board members. Now I know when I say risk, protection and insurance that your eyes probably glaze over. But these are actually critical areas of importance for all board members on any type of board, both for profit and not for profit. As much as it may surprise you, this was an incredibly interesting conversation where I also learned a few things. Merlin has also been kind enough to share with you an insurance checklist to use as part of your board due diligence. The link for that can be found in this episode's show notes. Before we get into today's episode, I must remind you that the information that we share in this podcast is general in nature and that you need to consider your own circumstances and seek expert advice and opinion in regards to your or your board's risk and insurance requirements. With that said, let's get into today's episode
1: thanks for joining me on the show today Merlin it's excellent to be here Lisa and um, love the idea of the podcast and obviously giving um, extra
0: help to people out there who are on boards well thank you very much it's very generous of you to share your time today you're welcome Now, we are going to be talking about risk and protection, and if people have made it this far into the podcast, then I'm sure they're committed. But it can be a a dry and boring topic, but it is incredibly important for company directors and board members to understand what we're going to talk about today. But what do you mean when we say risk and protection?
1: I suppose risk and protection for me is um, to avoid ending up in court, Um, insurance is that dry, dry, very dry topic. And I suppose what we um, need to do is look at the risk and protection to avoid us when we're generously giving our time, often non-paid, to ways of looking for protection for ourselves.
0: Yeah. So on that, is there any difference between paid and non-paid board members when it comes to the risks that they're exposed to?
1: Uh, none, and it all has to do with the um, setup up of, of the organisations, whether they are, are a non-profit um, or whether they are, uh, you know, a company.
0: Yeah. yeah, and how does that play into it then?
1: Um, it plays into it into the... There's various policies out there. So there's management liability policy, which has a, a directors and officers... Um, section and for non-profits there's an association's liability um, which is very similar um, in that they but they are specific to the types of organizations so the wording the policy wording is important right um, to select the right policy
0: right and really then so those board members need to focus on what type of organization they're joining Mm -hmm. to really know what type of Information they're looking for. That's right, yes. Right. So
1: uh, if you were looking at a non for profit, um, it would be part of joining that organisation. I always say to people that no matter how big or small the organisation you're joining, you should be given a package. Um, a package which includes things like the last three years' financials, um, it includes bios on the um, various other board members. Um, gives an outlook on what the organisation is about, and I suppose how, even though we class it as a not for profit, we never want to say not. Mm. Um, we always say it, it's non profit, but uh, we like companies to earn money. So yes, that's
0: right. it's not a dirty word, mm. and um, we call it more for purpose. That's now, so right. we are still for profit, but mm. it's profit for purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of those main risks? Uh, You were talking about people joining a board, what they're looking for. What are some of the main risks that they need to be aware of as they do start to look at getting on boards? So I suppose the main
1: risks are, um, well, first of all, your own qualifications and why you're joining the board. Um, And I suppose you're looking at the other board members And what their activities are on the board. So, being very specific, that um, I suppose it's a niche um, area for yourself, you might be in marketing, so you would come in offering the services of marketing. Um, I find that sometimes in boards, um, they don't sit and divide the board up Mm -hmm. into uh, and allocate various roles um, to the qualifications and expertise of that board member. Um, So sometimes it's lacking in that area. So the risks that I would be um, looking for is, yes, the type of policy, um, things like retroactive dates. Um, So when you join a board, the policy has what's called a retroactive date. And if the uh, organisation had started in... 2015 and you notice that insurance wasn't taken out until 2017 what you would expect of that retroactive date would be an unlimited retroactive date so it would end up covering those areas between 2015 and 2017 you don't want a date um, on there because that's when the cover actually started um, so there's actually a risk between that, um, those two dates, of the commencement of the organisation and the commencement of the policy.
0: Right. So what are some of those main policies that uh, a board hopeful or someone who's looking to get on a board would ask for or ex- reasonably expect to have access to as part of their due diligence before they join?
1: Right. It would be to ask for um, either the certificate of currency Um, And if I received a a certificate of currency and it lacked information, I would actually ask for the schedule um, of insurance um, so that I was given all the information. Some insurers um, will provide a certificate with very minimal information on and it's not enough to make a uh, or call it part of your due diligence. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to ask for more. Some people fear asking for more because they don't really know. you. As you said, you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you looking for? Um, as I said, you're looking for a retroactive date. You're looking for geographical limits, um, you, yeah, things along that line, especially if your organisation is um, providing... Um, advice or they're providing a service retail importing exporting out of Australia. Um, it's important that you that is shown on the policy um, so that uh if it's no good it's showing Australia when you're actually doing um work out of South America. Mm-hmm. And um so they're all the things you start to go down um the list of what you should have access to
0: Mm. so would you be looking at limits as well so how much you're insured for um you certainly would you'd look at
1: those limits um it's very hard to determine what is an accurate limit Mm. um i I suppose bringing it together as a board and making that decision is much better than one person making the decision although you usually find your ceo um, will be the one that makes the decision of the limit um they know I suppose in an everyday um, situation, how much advice they're providing. In other words, what is the value of the advice? Um, and your limits, um, what you might find is that if a claim arose, um, they may not be enough. Mm. And um, in that case, of course, you, you then find that you um, uh, start to ask board members for money. So uh, even even when you have an insurance policy, so wow. uh, yeah, it's always um, I always look at it and go to actually be on a board is quite
0: um, a risky situation. Yeah. Absolutely, mm. um, and risk is everywhere. But if we can do something to minimise it and help for when if and when things go wrong, that's always good. Uh, should board members be looking for specific policies? And what would you recommend those to be? Right.
1: Specific policies is, is firstly, um, I'd be looking at the direct uh, directors and officers to make it simple. Then I'd look at the business and see what the business was doing and then the policies are specific to that. If it was a sporting, a volunteer sporting organisation, you'd look for volunteer um, cover. If you're having events to raise money, you need to take that into account. Um, If you're using subcontractors, it's important that you take that into account as well because your insurance policy is unlikely to cover subcontractors coming and doing um, work for you. Um, You should always check and make sure that those subcontractors have their own insurance um, because your, your policy is not going to provide them with that. Um, we find that quite, I suppose, um, lacking in, in just general business is that mm-hmm. people don't check. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is important because it will fall back on you if you are the principal um, business doing the, doing the business. So mm-hmm. um, if you are doing something and, and it fails, the, whoever you're doing that for, they're going to come back to you. They aren't aware of the subcontractor and they're expecting that you've done your due diligence in confirming that they have insurance.
0: Mm. So, yeah. Is that what's happening in the trucking industry? I understand that there's some sort of um, insurance or coverage that flows through, even if you are contracting out to... Um, transportation companies using Mm -hmm. trucks, is Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Look, it it is some of the
1: large... So if you're looking at at companies like Woolworths and Coles, they use subcontractors to do um, their um, deliveries and things along that area. Um, They they are very strict in making sure that subcontractors have insurance. So if, for instance, um, we see Uber um, at the moment delivering for Coles and Woolworths, they would have done their due diligence in making sure that those that the Uber um, think had um, insurance in place. And there's programs out there, in um, computer programs, which they can type in. Um, Joe Bloggs' uh, insurance is due on a certain particular day so um, and they write to them a month beforehand and confirm every single year right um so uh, subcontractors is a an unusual one because it companies um you can extend their policy to include subcontractors uh because it's such a um subcontracting industry so I I may I may operate a small business from home um, but I need a website developer I need various other people to support me in that business so Mm. uh, the insurance company realized that there was um, an exposure and they created a policy wording so that subcontractors could be included
0: Uh, but
1: the wording is different
0: yeah Mm. is this going to be more and more prevalent as things like Contracted workforce and the gig economy and things like that, is as more organisations contract out a lot of their work, is that going to be um, more of a consideration that boards will need to be making? Um, it,
1: it certainly will. I mean, it, it is um, a high issue now. Um, in relation to obviously scam contracting and superannuation mm. and mm. having your own insurance and things along that line, so it is um an issue now, uh, but it, it's a quiet issue. Um, mm. I think down the track, and as you said, we are becoming um more and more subcontracting, single um operating businesses. Um, so yes, that that will be an issue for us.
0: Mm. 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 So I wanted to jump back. You've mentioned directors and officers insurance, which is colloquially known as Mm -hmm. D&O. So new and aspiring board members will hear a lot of talk about Mm D&O. What is it and what does it protect? Okay. Um, D&O is a bit of history. D&O
1: actually was um, firstly written for individuals going onto boards. Um, It was the personal liability Uh, that's actually extended to include company reimbursement and it was always that the um, personal director so the single director actually had to pay the premium not the company and that was to make sure that there was no conflict in there. Um, Over time that has developed the company reimbursements come in it's now become um, one huge policy which includes things like employment practices, tax audit insurance. You must remember that those additional add-ons have their sublimits and knowing the sublimits is extremely important. Um, you know, I think traditionally a sublimit for employment practices liability is $250,000. Um, if you have a claim, obviously, for four hundred or five hundred. And if you have a claim on a CEO, in all likelihood, it will be more than $250,000. Absolutely. Um, So, um, you know, you'll need to consider that limit and whether to um, increase that uh, to make sure that, obviously, it's the claim it's paid by the, the policy itself. But what you need to take into account is they are what we call in our industry um, bells and whistles so they aren't the true employment practices policy so a single employment a single policy that is being sold as employment practices is a lot more in depth than the bells and whistles that we go and put on into a directors and officers policy which over time has been moved away because it's very old terminology, the D&O, it's now being called management liability. Right. Bringing in all those um, uh, sub-limits into the policy. I know yeah. I personally had a client who had a uh, tax audit policy, um, sorry, had a sub-limit in their policy under a management liability They went to claim and found out that the policy... Did not include a certain clause for coming in and auditing the bookkeeping so prior to a tax audit a notification there may be a notification for the bookkeeping side under management liability it's not covered under a normal tax audit policy it is covered so they're the little things Mm -hmm. that are actually missing from a management liability policy
0: right and why we need people like you That's (laughs) that's <laughs> it us yes definitely <laughs> With those um so does it help for board members to get their own insurance policy if they're getting onto boards um look you could possibly uh
1: if you're a professional um uh director and are on say 5 representing 5 um various organizations um it may pay to have your own mm-hmm. um, and uh, And pay for it. Um, Obviously, it's a tax deduction. It's an expense to the business. (laughs) Um, It it certainly may be beneficial. You may be able to get extended wording um, if you know a little bit more about it than perhaps the board and the CEO and things along those lines. Um, But um, otherwise, the the organisation should have um, every organisation with uh, board members um, should have a directors and officers management liability policy. Again, whether the board is paid or not. That's correct, yeah. yes. Um, being paid has no bearing on whether um, you take out a policy or not. It's um, just vital. I mean, it's the impact for yourself is emotionally to have a claim um, is, is your first thing. And the second yeah. thing, obviously, is the financial impact it can have.
0: Absolutely. So at what point then um, would someone need to start thinking about getting their own insurance i imagine a lot of the listeners of this show would be sort of professionals by day board members by night sort of thing but many of them are considering transitioning out of full-time work towards like a portfolio career Mm -hmm. at what point then would they want to start casting their mind towards getting their own sort of professional indemnity is that what it would be or is it something else
1: um if you're out there as a, a professional board member um i would definitely start uh, well first of all i would have a pro- professional indemnity policy mm-hmm. um of my own it depends on what um your forte is so why you're going into the board now if it was marketing Obviously, you've got to be very careful on what's put out there, and especially obviously with the internet, um, you can have some issues in that area there. Um, Financially, that's a big area if you're coming in as the financial um, overseer of all the um, as a board member. Um, So I suppose every no matter what you're going into the board as, every um, type of position needs you to reassess as you're growing in that area on whether you need a single policy. Mm-hmm. You may just feel more comfortable. Um, you've got to obviously keep every single renewal date to make sure that the policy uh, stays into place, where if you have one on your own, um, obviously you can just follow your own insurance and, and mm-hmm. that's where your care lies, um, only in that single mm-hmm. policy covering the five organisations. um so yes it is a a matter for the personal you know whether you're able to monitor and keep in contact with that
0: right would Mm. you encourage people then to have the conversation with you or with someone like you Mm -hmm. in your line of work about their personal circumstances and what they're doing around their board career and whether they should be getting a policy like that now or
1: um, look, in most cases to go and see a broker, yeah. um, to actually come in and have a chat, there is no cost. Right. Um, but it actually, what it will do is help you in your knowledge. Absolutely. I go back to what you said first thing this morning, you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. So building that knowledge as you're going, um, along in your career, uh, it is by going in and having a chat with people and spending some time, um, Uh, i suppose determining whether that's the best way for you
0: Mm. 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 so i think a a, a trap that people can fall into is that they see insurance as this holy grail that's going to save them if and when things go wrong can insurance do that
1: (laughs) Uh, well, that's what insurance is there for. So it, it's um, for anything in the professional indemnity area, the DNO area. It's giving out that advice, and um, that advice that you gave out, um, it may be incorrect, mm-hmm. and um, and you thought you were doing the best thing at that time, and uh, and it may come back that you have a claim for saying saying something. Um, that was perhaps outside of your expertise, Mm -hmm. Um, it's considered to be negligent. And negligence is not a dirty word. Um, So it happens and it's life. Um, As, uh, I suppose, business goes,
0: turns its wheels, it can happen. So... Insurance can protect you if you're deemed to be quote unquote negligent. Um, yes, that's
1: right. That's okay. what the professional indemnity um, type of risk or type of policy is there for covering and the management liability as a last resort. So I suppose you're looking at management liability and associations liability is what it was first created for, which was the personal liability. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is if someone was going to lodge a claim against the organisation, they would do that, direct to the organisation, the CEO. It may never come down that they will actually have a claim against the director or the board member, um, it may, may never come to that level. It may purely be on the um, business itself. So in giving advice, it could be a professional indemnity policy that it actually is lodged against
0: and not the management liability policy. So, right. mm. What about an instance where you may be found to be reckless and or intentional? Um
1: Sometimes you find that intentional is um, more in the media area. So it may be something that you want to harm someone else and, and so you'll go to the newspaper and report on that. Um, that's considered intentional. Um, but And so it could be picked up. It could be one of the board members thinks that he's qualified enough to give um, information out And that is intentional. Certainly it would go back to the insurer for them to look at and find out what had been said or why he was doing that. Um, And so it comes back into the policy. In all cases, insurance is about accepting the advice that there has been a notification of a claim. Mm -hmm. So when someone rings our office and they advise us that they feel as though there's going to be a claim, um, we always get the insurer involved um, as early as possible uh, to find out whether firstly it's covered under the insurance policy and a lot of times the insurer won't admit indemnity um, until they know all the facts. Right. And um, so it takes a while to go through that policy. Okay. Mm.
0: And not to stress the point too much, but what about a breach of your director's duties?
1: Uh, a breach of your director's duties is one of the extensions under the policy so again I
0: meaning they uh, won't
1: cover you or it, it depends I won't say yay or nay because right. it depends what <laughs> extensions you actually get under the policy right um, and to how an insurer um, uh, looks at it. So if I had an example where uh, I had a, I had a um, organization that had a management liability policy, Um, they were trading insolvent and they had an extension under their policy for insolvency. Um, Then they're qualified, so they knew that they... and that's a breach of their duties. um, The policy actually covered them. So there was a payout of a million dollars on that. Um, But there's times when the company insolvency was considered under another policy that I wrote, a non-profit organisation the insurance company removed that clause. um, And so when it came round to lodging a claim on the policy, there was no cover for that particular organisation. So each year on a management liability policy, um, the most important thing for an insurance company is to obtain a copy of the financials, um, and that tells them a lot. Right. So, uh, and it, it... the insurance company can actually change the policy wording and the sub limits um, based on those financials. So they may have given you solvency cover, next thing they look and they see that things aren't quite right, um, and so they'll remove that from off the policy. Wow. Um, it normally takes five good years, some are three, wow. but normally takes five good years financially. Um, for the insurance company to put that back on. Wow. Mm. So uh,
0: another reason to keep the organisation healthy. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> very healthy.
0: Wow. So beyond making sure you've got the right insurances in place and limits and, and clauses and things like that, what else should board members be doing to ensure that they really don't have to rely on that insurance if and when things go wrong?
1: Mm. I think in today's business world, the most important um, things that you can have is is um, manuals and guidelines, and you know if your organisation is a, um, involves planning events, um, it's about having um, a good guideline on how an event should be organised, uh, or to bring in a professional. Um, rather than to organize it yourself um, is to bring in that professional and make sure that obviously they have insurance to cover anything that might go wrong and you look at an event and you and you might say what could go wrong it depends how the event um, is organized it might be that uh, the program might be a basketball um, situation where children are coming along and you as a professional you would know what to put in place and you know to make sure that you have molestation um cover on your policy rather than it be an exclusion because in most cases um most insurance policies start with an exclusion it's up to you to convince them that you need that cover on the policy. I had
0: no idea you
1: could <laughs> cover that. Wow. Uh, so, yes, it's it's knowing what's available to you, and I suppose that's what a broker is there for, mm-hmm. um, is understanding your organisation and making sure that they tailor the policy to what you need. Um, so as a director and if you were looking at uh, volunteers, um, it might be volunteers who are going to... Um, Uh, help run that event Um, Mm. so you would bring in volunteer um, cover so voluntary uh, workers insurance is there so it would be looking at all all those items
0: as well right Mm. understand so is there sort of a rule of thumb when you think about organizations and what sort of policies they should have as a minimum and how much they should be covered for
1: Rule of thumb is normally money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> if the organisation um, w- was extremely healthy financially, um, you know, an organisation might end up with five, you know, five varying policies. As I said, the voluntary workers, the DNO, or the association's liability. Um, so they can go on depending upon the event liability insurance so they can go on and on but obviously what you're initially looking at is your financial capabilities and of paying those then addressing no we're not going to take out voluntary workers cover Um, and why why wouldn't you um, take out that policy is financially I can't afford to um, then you have to ask your question: Is financially should you be having mm. this event? Mm. Um, you know, making sure uh, things like for a non profit organisation that you're covering yourself by being um, a uh, an association a limited um, area, so it can't come back to the board members. Um, again that that traditionally you'll find a uh, not-for-profit will bring in an accountant will bring in a lawyer as part of their board makeup mm-hmm. um, so that they're fully informed that um, when they uh, um, complete their name the name itself um, has such an important um, Uh, concern of whether you will end up with a claim against Mm. um, the actual individual board members. So
0: um,
1: that's what you're, you you have a lawyer on there Mm. is to give you that type of advice.
0: Yeah, Mm. so I see that there's a tight relationship between the policies that you choose and the limits that you allocate and the clauses that you check are in there or not is with the board's risk appetite and risk tolerance—is mm-hmm. that what you see? Yes, yeah,
1: yeah definitely. And I, I suppose with producing and talking about the financial aspect of you know being able to afford that, then goes um, it takes someone to obviously bring in all the guidelines, um, all the templates. Um, you know, as far as the organisation is good to limit the exposure, obviously to the members. It's then up to the individual board members to. Make sure that they follow those guidelines um, because you've reduced um, your own ability to, um, to take on all those policies and to have those, I, I suppose, I look at them and so do others. They're financial burdens because you're not getting out anything out of yeah. insurance until you have a claim um so uh, yeah it's making sure i suppose that you've got all those policies and procedures in place and they're not just sitting on the shelf that they're being used and um, you know uh, followed
0: Mm. Mm. do you have any tools or templates or things that organizations can use to assess themselves as to whether they're sort of got enough coverage or got the right limits or got the right clauses or just anything that might help I guess, facilitate that conversation on the board?
1: Yeah, definitely. I've got a template that would help people who are just going into a board and they want to assess um, what the board has that they're looking at. And so it's just a page of varying things like the retroactive date, geographical limits, and what should be on a certificate of currency for you to be happy um, that you've assessed it um, enough you know, things like the, the limit on there so making sure that the insured name is correct mm. um, because you can have a problem if the insured name is not very specific um, making sure that all your activities are actually covered um, and written into the policy so uh, you know the description needs to be very specific the last thing you want is for the insurer to come back and say that wasn't our intention we weren't covering um you know ballet dances or you know um you know it's it's about um making sure that the um insurer is fully informed and has no opportunity of coming back and saying that i wasn't aware of that or it wasn't you know it wasn't our intention
0: awesome Um, we'll make sure we get that shared in the mm, show notes then Um, So at what point should an organisation check everything and reassess their limits and their coverage um, and when maybe they should decrease or increase it? What are your suggestions Mm. around Mm. that? Um, So um, looking at them and and how often
1: it should be reviewed is if it's a new organisation and it's just being started, um, often you'll come in and you'll have one employee. Um, how, um, how does an insurance company rate um, and develop a premium and come up with a premium? They look at your business type um, and they but more important they look at your turnover. So y- your premiums are um, calculated by your turnover. If when you're starting out your turnover is you know 250,000 um, in the first year you're hoping to get it to a million. Um, then I would say along the way you probably need to have a look at it every three months and keep the insurer informed. Mm-hmm. But if you're a gradual 10 15% um, increase in growth um, that first year, uh, then yearly, um, and most people look at their insurances annually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would encourage, if you're not looking at them annually, I would encourage you to do so because you're either paying too much mm. because you declare you what your premium is being calculated on is an old turnover figure, um, or your or your um, you could and could receive obviously a refund, um, or you need to be paying more mm. and. Um, because obviously your turnover um, has increased. Your employment um, of employing people has increased. You've now become a professional Mm organisation. You have a professional board. Um, So all those things need to be taken into account. Mm. Um, And financials, as I said, are so important to the insurer. It
0: tells you where you are at that time. Yeah, so much like we would approach our own insurance policies at home mm. and personally, yeah, um, and that our circumstances change over the course of a year, same thing with the
1: business. Exactly the same, right. um, no different, that annual, as said, as a minimum annually, um, and uh, that will certainly help you along the way.
0: Wonderful, great advice. Um, Well, suggestions. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) ideas and tips, not advice today. Um, So, closing off, Merlin, what are your top three things that board members need to do in relation to risk and protection? Okay, so for me, my suggestion is obviously
1: do a complete review of the insurances, um, making sure that obviously the organisation has management liability. Um, insurance when you leave a board always make sure that your name has been removed from the ASIC register Mm -hmm. because you will continue to be liable for the organization Um, this is a problem um, and quite a large problem where people it gets forgotten so um, there's an AGM there's a lot to do after the AGM and in there includes the removal of prior board members and it gets lost um, and it's so in, you no longer want to be on the board mm-hmm. um, you've advised them in writing and nothing's happened so make sure go in and check um, if you're if you're able to and uh, probably the uh, third one is to I suppose keep in in touch with your um, CEO or the chair in relation to, um, what's happening in the organisation, I suppose encouraging them to make sure they keep the um, insurance
0: company um, aware of what's happening. Absolutely. Uh, so maybe putting insurance on your annual board calendar to make sure it's covered at least once a year. Definitely. And, and more often. Mm, I, I know that you know they're
1: uh, looking at putting on IT, uh, a position is IT, there's a position of risk... Um, So it's always um, beneficial to the organisation to um, have a number of people on that uh, sub board in the risk area because a lot of people don't have a lot of experience and it's good to have other people's opinions and and Mm. put together a few heads rather than just one.
0: Absolutely. Mm. And make sure that everyone's comfortable with the level of risk. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah, That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that fantastic information. If people want to get in touch with you directly, how should they best do that?
1: Probably best by phone. So uh, our phone number is eight four one zero zero one five four. 0154. Um, you can also go into our website, um, which is m2mrisk.com.au.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much again, Merlin. It's been great chatting with you. You're welcome, and thank you very much for having me, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode with Merlin. I hope it's given you more awareness and confidence around risk and protection for you in your role as a board member. I really encourage you to check out the show notes for the link to that checklist that Merlin mentioned during our conversation please feel free to use this and to share it with any other new or aspiring board member that you think would benefit from it as well. If you're looking for past episodes or have a suggestion for future topics or guests, please visit getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast. I look forward to talking with you in the next episode.